from the Samira Foundation, this is Demystifying NMO and MOG, where we bring together the world's foremost experts, the doctors dedicated to studying it, and the patients who live with it every day, with support from Genetech. Welcome back for another episode of the podcast. We are back following a small mid-season break thanks to COVID. Today, we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Anissa Powell of All Ability Recruiting. 2013, she was diagnosed with Addison's disease, and she quickly found herself working to raise awareness as a rare disease advocate. This led her to start All Ability Recruiting along with her husband, Bill, where they focus on disability employment, training, and consulting. It's enough for me, though. Let's get to it. Anessa, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Can you please tell our audience more about yourself? Sure. And thank you so much, Brian. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. My name is Anessa Powell, and I'm founder and CEO of All Ability Recruiting. That's my professional side, owning a disability employment recruitment firm. Personal side, I am a wife, a mom to two incredible teenagers. I have one daughter who's about to graduate high school, so life is changing for us as she goes off to college in a few months. And then my son is uh, graduating eighth grade, so he'll be going into high school. And then, you know, a part of me, I say it's not all of me, but it's definitely a part of me is my rare disease diagnosis. I was diagnosed in 2013 with Addison's disease which is a rare autoimmune disease. So I have the lovely opportunity of having multiple autoimmune diseases, but Addison's is definitely the primary one that rules my life. But because of that, it's led to me to where we are now with the company. So can you tell us more about all ability recruiting and kind of what you do and actually how you ended up there? Yeah, it's been a, a wonderful ride and a long ride. So I will start from my diagnosis. That was my first foray into the world for me personally of invisible disabilities and but you don't look sick is the hashtag that's pretty predominant out there on social media. However, I when I was a child, my dad was in a car crash and was hit by a drunk driver when I was 10 years old. So he sustained a traumatic brain injury, a TBI. So that was my first introduction of that whole world and seeing how people were reacting to him, expecting him to be the same person and quickly learning after talking to him, he was not the same as he was before the accident. So grew up definitely aware of that. My close friend in high school, actually, this was the early 90s, she was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And that, at that time, was very rare and unknown. This was before it was uh, definitely a more common diagnosis now for people in this area. But that was another opportunity for me to learn and to soak up what it means for those that had really just, she had really hard mobility issues and she wasn't able to go to high school full time. So that was a, for another introduction. And then uh, the irony is not lost on me many years later when I was diagnosed with my rare disease after the birth of my my son, my health decided to take a sideways turn. You know, in my former life, I was an event planner for Marriott Hotels and then became a stay-at-home mom. And I had every intention of going back to work once my son went off to elementary school. And that's when my health went really crazy. And then with my diagnosis, here I was diagnosed and I wasn't sure 
what life was going to look like for me being a mom, but also working full time. And so that's how I really just threw myself into research and networking, because as you know, Brian, when you are diagnosed with something rare, you are oftentimes the only person in the room who knows about it, even with speaking with medical professionals. (laughs) So I really wanted to understand what this life was going to be like for me. Here I am having to take medication to live. If I don't have this medication, I will end very painfully for me. So how do you go about taking care of yourself and working full time? And as I learned through really just my research and through talking with people online and in person, there was a vast pool of people out there with disabilities, such as myself, that really wanted to get back into the workforce, but they had gaps in their resumes and really just were struggling to be seen for the abilities they can bring, not what they are lacking. Fast forward a few years later, the pandemic hit, changed everything for my family. My husband had been in corporate America for over 20 years and was looking at his next opportunity and was working with a recruiter. I actually was really trying to get back into the workforce as well, but more on the patient advocacy side because I had found this new passion of mine of working with other patients such as myself and feeling like they had an opportunity to be heard and understood as well. And I was working with a disability recruiter. We both were not wowed by our experiences. We just kind of looked at each other one day. It was very much a lightning bolt moment for us. And we said, you know what? We're going to start this company. And it's going to be out of a lens that oftentimes is overlooked and that's the people with disabilities and trying to give them an opportunity to get their foot in the door and really just giving them the opportunity just to be able to interview who may not have been over who may have been overlooked in the past so we launched all ability recruiting we are coming up on our two-year anniversary it's been a wonderful organic ride of people truly learning about us, but also understanding what we are. We're unique in our approach because we're very much a people first firm. And after we launched, we quickly learned that businesses want to do the right thing. They don't oftentimes though know how to begin. So (laughs) we created our training sessions and that's where we go into companies, businesses, organizations, and help walk them through disabilities. We started Disability 101, start the very basic, like what even is qualifying as a disability, all the way through fostering support for those that are currently within your organization that have disabilities, interviewing, maintaining accommodations. And then the final piece to our training session is that culture and how culture is vital in order for doing disability employment correctly and why it matters to your bottom line. And let me assure you, it's tenfold to your bottom line when you are doing it right. So we walked them through that. So we have that piece and we started that out. And then our clients would be like, well, that was great. So where do we go now? And we're like, okay. So now we do consulting and that's where we really get an opportunity to come in and look at the full life cycle of employees and get our arms around it. Everything from the application process, is it accessible? Interviewing, is your staff prepared to interview someone who's deaf? Is your staff prepared for someone who's on the spectrum? And walking it through and then supporting them once they're hired. So we are, as we like to say, all things disability employment related. That's incredible. The the gap that you were able to find and really get into and really find those unmet needs, both on the side of, you know, someone who's looking for work, but also in creating that that environment and helping 
organizations develop the the protocols they need and the processes and everything. That's that's fantastic. Do we have an Thank idea you. of how many how many people there are with disabilities in the workforce currently? There are 33 million working aged adults here in America. So when you're looking around your workforce, and if you're listening to the podcast, there are one in four people in your organization that have a disability. So if you're looking around and you say, I don't know anybody with a disability, let me assure you that you do. They have just not felt comfortable to disclose for various reasons. And that's a whole other topic that we can certainly get into. But uh, one in four is the the one that really hits home for people. Wow, I, I never would have realized that it was that many people. From what I understand that uh, during the pandemic, that number or post-pandemic, that number has increased. So what are some of the, the common yeah. challenges and barriers that people with disabilities face when they're looking for employment? Um, and how does how do you fit into helping them over, overcome those challenges? There's... You know, every candidate has a story to tell. So we've learned so much from everyone that we speak with. And I think the biggest obstacle for them, and I and I I experience this myself, and just people don't see the person, they see the disability. And it can be very different experience for someone who has a visible disability or in someone with invisible or non-apparent, whichever word you like to use to describe that. So I fall into that invisible category of that 70% of disabilities are invisible. And I think the biggest challenge for them is that when they disclose, then they're seen as the person with a disability. They're not seen as someone who can bring their talents to the table. The beauty of what I do and what we really enjoy at All Ability Recruiting is that I'm not bound by the ADA laws. Like this person's not coming to work for me. I can intimately find out about this person and the disability that they have and any accommodations that they may need. Some of ours don't need accommodations, but some do. So I can really find out what's going to help them succeed in their job. And the great thing is when you are working with us, and if you're a client that is working with us, you already know that I'm going to be presenting to you a particular candidate that may need accommodations, and we're going to walk them through that process. So say, for instance, you know, a person, and I had this actually a few weeks ago, I have a candidate who is legally blind. They can do their job beautifully. They just need a larger screen monitor. That's an easy fix. So I can make sure if I'm sending this person in for the interview, they're already prepared for that and they already have it on their radar. So if we hire this person, then we're going to make sure that that accommodation is going to be taking place. So stuff like that, it's all, for us, it's about communication. I'm not going to put a candidate in a position where I feel like they're not going to succeed. And it's and also, it's not going to be a win-win for both sides. It's going to be a good match and they're going to make sure that both are feeling like this is going to succeed for each of them. How would someone, someone with disabilities, what is the best way to kind of start looking in and trying to find opportunities for employment? There's so much out there. There's all the different websites. And I, I remember when you used to have to get the Sunday paper and go through <laughs> and start circling things. Yes. You know, to date myself a bit. Well, there's lots of avenues in which someone with a disability, and like I said, there's so many that don't need even need accommodations, They and some don't, and there's a lot that don't disclose. So it kind of depends on your comfortability factor, but first and foremost, it's just the traditional route of applying online and going through that process. However, 
some that need assistance in applying because it's not accessible for them based upon their disability. So that's where you can work with a disability recruiter like us, uh, where we can help walk you through the process and kind of cut through that for you to help. Um, as well as the company side of it, we're trying to work with companies to make sure that their platform is accessible in order you don't have that opportunity. But say, for instance, you are just a traditional candidate that applies through their website and you get that interview. I always tell our candidates is that you want to make sure that this is going to be an environment where you can be you. Masking is a term that's a hot button that is really more prevalent in the neurodivergent category. So someone, say, for instance, who is on the spectrum or someone who has ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, they mask at work, which basically means they're hiding their true self. They're, not, they're afraid to share the challenges that they're facing at work. And, and some would say faking it. Some would say masking. Some would say... Um, playing a role in order to do their job correctly. And if that is something that you are not comfortable in doing, then you want to be in an environment where you say, hey, this is me and I have dyslexia and this is what I need in order to do my job correctly. And this is how I'm going to feel supported. And you have a company that reacts shall we say negatively to your disclosure, then this is not an environment where you want to work. This is something that you want in order to feel yourself. And so you need to continue on your search. That's, that's a big challenge. And that's what we try to work through our clients with is like, if someone is sharing this with you, that's a vulnerability factor. In order to respond correctly, you need to know how to respond correctly. So we help them through that. So, you know, but for someone who's applying directly, just open eyes and being able to kind of understand that there are businesses out there that want to do it right and you just have to find them. I was recently reading some research that had come out um, specifically about NMO and MOG and the impact it had on employment. And one of the things that I found particularly interesting was, and you touched on a little bit, is that some patients had chosen not to disclose their illness. So as an employee, do you have to disclose your illness? Um, should you like kind of like what is the thought process, the pros and cons of disclosing versus not disclosing? This is the million dollar question. We get this question all the time. And I actually recently did a talk on this uh, for a convention and, you know, and, and it's it's very nuanced. And I would say the answer to that is it's personal and it's your decision. And that's what it boils down to. So briefly to cover what the ADA is defined by here in America, it's the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so it was created in the 90s for protection of those with disabilities within the workforce and throughout the country as well outside of the workforce for accessibility. But I'll start with the work part of that. So you do not have to disclose ever that you have a disability. The time comes, though, when you are needing accommodations in order to do your job successfully. That's when disclosure happens. There are people that have been diagnosed with a particular, you name it, and they've been working there for years, and they've never told anyone, and then something happens, and now, okay, now I need to have accommodation in order to do my job, and that's when they disclose. So you can disclose two weeks after being hired. You can disclose 10 years after being hired. So that timeline is totally up to you. You are not bound to it by any means, and you do not ever have to tell. There are lots of people that work that have never shared, oh, yeah, I have lupus, or I have you name it. There's so many ways that people don't. Obviously, visible disabilities is a very different scenario. Now, with the working part of it for the accommodations, that's 
you know, that's, like I said, there's that vulnerability piece to it. There is always a question in the back of your mind. If I disclose this, is there going to be stigma against me? Am I going to be discriminated against when it comes to, say, for instance, they're going to be giving us pay raises? Am I going to be included in that? Or are they going to be thinking in the back of their mind, oh, this person is going to be out so much for their medical off, you know, they're, they're costing us so much medical bills or they're thinking about that. There's a lot to it. And it is very personal for someone if they choose to disclose or not to disclose. I guess it's one of those questions that just depends and you have to go off that gut feeling of what the process is like. You you brought up the ADA and and I'm- yeah. I know that can be an entire season of podcasts in and of itself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? You know, there are so many common misconceptions. People just kind of hear things and that just becomes folklore of sorts. So does it does it apply to all companies and all employers? Do they have to abide by it? And are there rights that are guaranteed or like how yeah. do the protections work? Can you tell us a little bit more about that maybe? Yeah, so the ADA is definitely nuanced and they did a nice job in a sense that they've left it broad enough. So when you look at the list of disabilities that are covered under it, they obviously haven't listed every single one. But if like, for instance, if I were to look at the list and see where I would fall under that, it's under the autoimmune category. And there's so many, they couldn't list all 200 of them or you name it, how many we have now, they keep adding. And they recently did add long COVID to the list because uh, clearly this was not something that was in the 1990s when they created the ADA. So it can be adapted. So that part of it, the list of coverage of diseases is there. And basically, it also means it can be something that has affected you in the past that can, you know, can still be affecting you now. So say, for instance, you had cancer and you've gone through treatment for it and you now have, you know, what they like to call chemo brain. It can still affect you as a part of your job. And so you might need accommodations for that. Even though you were diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, it can be still something that you're covered under according to the laws with the ADA. So that's a part of it with regards to the the definition itself. And it was created in order to protect those with individuals, but it's also created for companies too, to make sure that they're in line with how to better support not only their employees, but their customers. And as we like to say, ADA is not optional, guys. I mean, this is something that you have to really really make sure that you're on top of when it comes to accommodations and stuff. So I will tell you, this is where companies really get into trouble is because the number one lawsuits with the EEOC that are filed are because of disability uh, accommodations. And what happens is companies are immediately denying them and they're saying, nope, we can't do that. They're not engaging in that interactive process. And the way it works is if a a particular employee asks for accommodation, then the company is supposed to take it and say, okay, let's see um, how we can figure this out. And they're supposed to, what they call it in the engagement interactive process, companies get in trouble when they immediately deny someone. So say for instance, I use this as an example. Someone with a wheelchair needs to have a particular type of desk in order for their wheelchair to fit under. You know, they may not even know what type of desk they need. They just Google it and they say, this is the size. And they Google it and the first one that pops up is $10,000, right? Well, the company is like, no, we're not going to get that desk for you because it's $10,000. If they would have engaged in the process and gone back and forth, they could easily have found one that was, you know, $2,500 if they had gone and included the person who's requesting it in the interactive process and asked and gone back and forth. So that part of it is is probably what people hear the most of is like this 
so-and-so is being sued because they were discriminatory against someone who was disabled or they fired someone who was because they were disabled. That's because they haven't really understood the way in which to it. And there is an old saying within the disability community, nothing about us without us is basically include us in the conversation, making sure. And that's, that's all anyone wants to do is make sure that they feel like they're a part of that if it is pertaining to them. So accommodations aren't necessarily guaranteed, but the, the organization does at least have to make a good faith effort and engage in the conversation and look for options to determine the reasonableness of a request. Absolutely. And, 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 and every person is different. So say, for instance, you have someone who is visually impaired that's them and their accommodations that they may need. And then you may have another employee who's visually impaired and may need different accommodations. No two people are alike and no two disabilities are alike. So it definitely have to engage. You can't as a company just put a flat out, this is what we're gonna do. And this is gonna apply to every single person and that's not how it works. So you do have to do that and you have to walk through that process. And yes, the accommodations have to be reasonable. Like for instance, if you're someone who's saying, I need to have, every second day off from work for my mental health. Well, you know, the productivity factor is going to be in question there, right? So you have to kind of engage in what that looks like for you and making sure that you are going to be productive. Your mental health is still going to be intact, but you're also a good employee too. So it has to be able to be a win-win for both sides. So definitely the the underlying theme here is there needs to be a lot of communication to find that balance of, of what's in the best interest of the organization and of the employee. So that communication piece, you know, even going back to, to disclosing an yeah. illness and, and then asking for an accommodation, any suggestions on how to have those conversations? You know, I always say, don't let it be the elephant in the room. That's probably the most frustrating part is when you know these conversations are being had and they're about you and you're not included in them. Horrible. I hate that. You have to <laughs> engage in this process with the person. So, you know, say for instance, you have someone who is bringing in an emotional support animal where, you know, they're in the office now. And so have you prepared accordingly your staff and which ways to interact or not to interact? So that's just a, I've got off on a tangent on that one, but you know, (laughs) the biggest thing is that if you have the conversations from the very beginning, and that's going back to disclosing and, and, and I will say this before is that I always tell our candidates, I always encourage them to disclose from the beginning because it's a lot easier. And especially when you're talking about someone who has a rare disease or who has autoimmune conditions, I joke autoimmune, they don't like to just stay with just one. They like to collect over time. And so if your employer is already aware that you have this particular condition, then they're not going to be completely blindsided if you come to them and say, hey, it's Wednesday. I got another autoimmune disease. Let's see how I can figure this one out. Can you help me? And they're like, what are you even talking about? So we do always try to encourage that. So if you've already begun the conversation and HR and depending on the size of the company already has it in your file, like, look, this particular person has this and this person is going to need this accommodation. So when you start needing more, if you do, then they're already prepared and already had that conversation. But if you have something that is brand new, it's I, it's it's vital to start and to share if you feel like it could be something that is going to change over time. So communication always has to start with the communication. Yeah. So one of the things that I know I've struggled with in, in my work life since I had gotten sick, and I know it's uh, a common topic for others, 
this kind of navigating wor work culture. You go through the diagnostic journey and it really impacts relationships. Coworkers can, can be unsure of how to respond to you. Things can get kind of awkward. Um, some people try to overcompensate. They try to overexplain. Others see it as a sign <laughs> yeah. of weakness and try to get over on you or whatnot. So how do you deal with coworkers and try and head off any toxicity or any of that awkwardness? Uh, well, first you take our training sessions at All Ability Recruiting because <laughs> <laughs> this is what we exactly walk businesses through. So uh, I, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm just one of those people, I just don't want it to be the elephant in the room. So like if, for instance, I had been out and I'm just recently diagnosed, I'm going to come in and I'm going to share and I'm going to say, look, this is, this is me. I have Addison's disease. Um, yes, I have to take medicine four times a day and there is a potential that I could go into crisis in my bag. This is my crisis kit. And if you see me acting weird or if I'm, I'm not with it, or if I pass out, or you name it, this is where my emergency can check. I think being bringing people into the conversation is so vital, especially if it's something that could happen at work, and so they know what to do, so they're prepared, and they're not like, I didn't even know she was sick, or I didn't even know she had an emergency ejection in her purse. You know, I think that's really something to keep in mind, especially if it's a newly a new diagnosis and you're still trying to figure it out. And and I know it's it's not comfortable because it's probably I remember after I was diagnosed, I was like, oh my goodness, I I don't know what this new world is like for me now. I don't how do I share it or if I share it and as my husband said, I shared it for everyone just because that was just how I was at that point. That's how I was processing it. Now I've kind of toned it down a little bit, but you know, it's just people react differently. That's that part of it. Now if from the company business side of it, it all boils down to culture. And I'll use this as an example. Say, for instance, you do have a particular employee that does require a break every hour. Call it the old smoker's break, right? Well, you could have an environment where other employees see that and they're like, well, why is this person getting that break? I don't get that break. That comes back to the culture where you've created the environment where people understand that we support people regardless. And we don't have jealousy. We don't have that toxicity. We don't do that here because we've talked about it. We've talked about in our training sessions, or we've talked about it in our meetings, our weekly employee meetings, that we don't put up with that. We support people. And if this person is asking for it, then they need it. And we believe them. Having that support from company, being willing to take a stand and be like, you yeah. know, hey, knock it off. We're adults here. We're going to do what's right. in the best interest of, of the people and work towards our, our corporate goals and strategic outcomes. That's definitely important. Um, I know Absolutely. one of the, the first speaking engagements I had to give once I started back to work was to a group of emerging leaders. We had been doing a long-term emerging leaders workshop and it was the final session and I didn't know how to address it or how to approach it. And the consultants that we had worked with, they were like, everybody has an idea of what's going on. Just be honest and get it out there. And so I remember I got up and glad everyone's here. I'm not drunk. I just got out of the wheelchair a couple of weeks ago. If I fall over, give me a few seconds before you jump up, it may take me right. a few minutes and uh, just kind of made a joke out of it. And, and definitely saw the tension in the room change because people weren't sure how to respond to it. So I think hitting yes. it head on and even using a little bit of humor at my own expense, yes. people were like, oh, okay, you know, we can people, breathe and we can get, get past it. 
people do take the cues from those with disabilities all the time. You know, I see this in our interactions with our with our candidates and out in the public too, with people who are in wheelchairs. And you know, they want they are want, watching your reaction, but the person who doesn't have the disability is especially watching the person with disability and their reaction. So if you are the one that's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm in a wheelchair." this is me, you know, they're much easier and put at ease too, because it's not something that people are comfortable with, unfortunately. And we're out to change that at all ability. It's like, you know, a person with a disability is just one person with a disability. And that's just, that's just a part of who they are. That's not who they are. And, right. you know, we, I talk about this all the time on LinkedIn and just what that looks like for people and, and understanding. And I, and I posted an article a few months ago about talking to your kids and walking them through that. And that's how it starts. It starts from at home and, you know, letting them understand that that's just Joe in the wheelchair. That's just not, you know, Joe is not something any different than us. He just happens to not have his legs working and that's only thing different. So walking them through that is so important and sharing. And that's why sharing through podcasts such as this and out in the community and for people to say, okay, you know, it's this is a, the part of who we are and let me assure you the thing about disability is that it can be temporary it can be situational or it can be permanent and there will be a time in your life where you too will be facing a disability and like i said it could be very very short-lived but it, you will face it absolutely i think we're definitely we're, we're seeing it every day more and more people with disabilities especially the immunocompromised one of the things they're struggling with right now is returning to the office to on-site work because of the pandemic or post-pandemic right there's been so much uh, polarization around covid and it's really made it a difficult topic to discuss whether it's even with our families and at home but in the workplace and so we we're seeing companies that are starting to bring their employees back on site is this part of a continuing trend you know when the pandemic hit it one good thing that i found out of the entire few years of everyone being at home was that it really gave an opportunity for those with disabilities to work it, it was not even a question at that point they were like yes we're doing it from home we're working and we're succeeding and then when you had the interview process for those with disabilities it wasn't a question it was like yeah here you're hired and my fear was that as companies were starting to work, return to the office and starting to put those mandates in place, there we're going to start to lose out on that talent. And it is happening and it makes me sad and it makes me mad and it makes me angry because we have in our talent pool for all ability recruiting is that I would say 90% of our candidates want remote work for various reasons, you name it, pain chronic illness, you know, it just works for them to be able and they're better employees when they can be in their home environment. And you have companies now that are drawing that line in the sand. They say, nope, we got to be back in the office five days. And we're like, wait a minute, can you at least have a hybrid approach where they only have to be in three days and, you know, they could work from home too, or what you name it. And I'm afraid that the disability numbers are going to start plummeting again, the employment numbers, I should say, because of that. And it is worrisome that we have such short memories that people don't recall that, yes, we can be a little bit more adaptive in supporting those that we promised that we would, and now we're not. That's interesting yeah. to see how organizations are either flip-flopping or, or just trying to feel their way forward. Um, it can be difficult wearing a mask and 
having conversations or things like that. And I've even heard of people that have returned to the office being asked to remove their mask to, to give a presentation. I'm in a room full of, of unmasked people and I'm wearing one for a reason. Right. So any thoughts on the post-COVID work <laughs> etiquette? I don't think anyone would be like, hey, I need you to present. Can you get out of that wheelchair and go to the front of the room? And it's, it's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thoughts on, thoughts on, on etiquette? You know, that whole mask debate is just so polarizing. And I've always just, you know, I always come from from a place of people are going to let people do what they want to do when it comes to their own bodies. And if you are someone that is one concerned about being out and about with your mask and you want to keep it on, I think let them keep it on. We, you know, I was at a presentation, goodness, about a month ago and their presenter had their mask on the whole time and she was mic'd appropriately and it was fine. You know, you kind of forget she's wearing it after a point. So I, I think people should have, you know, be able to do and support the way that it works best for their health. And if you are someone in the office that needs to wear a mask because you're made to go in the office because you can't work remotely, then my goodness, you better let them wear the mask because you're putting them in danger, some people who are asked to required to go back in. So, you know, we could probably talk about that a long time, but that's my two cents. <laughs> so kind of shifting and, and talking a little bit more about um, from the employer point of view, what are what have you found to be some of the biggest misconceptions about hiring people with disabilities and um, how do you address those misconceptions with an employer? Uh, there are a lot that unfortunately businesses are starting to, I, I would say as, since there is a talent shortage out there, businesses are starting to understand. And I will tell you that the people, the disability community, we're about 20 years behind and those being hired uh, with people of color and women, especially in leadership roles. We're definitely about 20 years behind. And businesses are starting to take note of that and like, okay. And the beauty of it, and I say this all the time, is that the disability community is intersectional. So it, it, yes, the disability piece is the largest minority group in the world, which most people do not realize, but it touches every other minority group. So when you say you employ people of color or women in, in leadership roles, you're also, you need to make sure you have those with disabilities included in that. And I assure you they are, if they're just not disclosing because you haven't created that environment where people feel com comfortable in disclosing. But, you know, for those that are navigating this world of disabilities and understanding it for companies that the bottom line is the talent is out there. Let me assure you, they are there. They are this untapped talent pool that has been there the whole time. And we're sitting here over here chanting, yes, we're here. We're here. You need to take note of us. And, you know, that's what I love what we do is that I spend most of my calls, Brian, educating people and having conversations with them and why they need to take notice of the community and what that looks like. And the return on the investment is there. The spending power of this community is phenomenal. And the return on the investment, when I say that, I mean the favorability factor. So if someone knows out in the community that you are someone that employs people with disabilities or you're your um, your customers that you're supporting are those with disabilities, then others are going to start flocking to you and you're going to get so much return on your investment. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, you had talked a little bit earlier about how employers and organizations can go about and create that inclusive and more accessible work environment for employees with disability. 
in creating that work environment, um, it seems like it was kind of a leap from the, the traditional norms that we had pre-pandemic. Do you think the pandemic has really kind of been a paradigm shift in mentality for businesses in terms of uh, reaching out to the disabled community or, or being able to bring them in and, and work with them more? Oh, I hope so. Uh, you know, I think the pandemic definitely shifted things for certain industries, for sure. So we're talking the hospitality industry, uh, the restaurants, just that is such a labor shortage right now. So they are taking notice and saying, okay, we need to be thinking out of the box and how we can really just not only attract, but retain the talent. And that comes from the disability community. They are out there and they're wanting to be employed. Now, the challenge is you do have that particular sect, but that's in-person jobs, right? Most of the time, hospitality is in-person. But when you're talking about remote work, that's what we're trying to focus on too, is that companies, you know, when you were saying, yes, we, we're so desperate for talent, we need that. Well, then we need you to be open to the fact that they can be able to do it remotely. So that is one part of it. I will say, though, you had employees that left before the pandemic that didn't have a disability. And now you have employees returning to the office that are there that are coming back with mental health challenges. And you have 70% of disabilities are invisible. And the largest piece of that is mental health. And so you've got these new employee, not a new, but you've got these employees that are returning to the office are saying, hey, I need to have PTO or at least have time off and to be supported. If I say I need to go meet with my mental health professional and you're not going to come after me and hold me accountable for that when it's really, if you want me to be an employee here and be a successful employee, then I really need to have that opportunity to continue my mental health walk. So companies are kind of like, whoa, we need to take note of this and really get our arms around what this looks like. And as we like to encourage our clients, it's like, you say you have a piece now, it's just going to continue to grow. We do have an aging population, but we also have a younger generation that is coming into the workforce that has grown up with 504 plans and IEPs, have learned from their advocates around them that they need to self-advocate. So they're coming into organizations that are saying, hey, this is me. These are accommodations that I need. Can you meet that? And if companies are ready to meet that, guess what? They're moving along because that is one thing about this younger generation is they will not stay if they don't feel like they're going to be supported. So if we always say to our clients, look, you got to get your handle on this now before it is too late and you've lost out on some amazing talent. Yeah, that's a really good example of uh, the market will will determine what the market's yeah. going to do. So um Again, from from an organizational point of view, uh, you talked about the the return on investment of of having people with disabilities and making sure that that it's inclusive. And for a company who's interested in being able to reach out to the disabled community um, and help provide opportunities, where would they get started? What would what would be your advice to them? So first, like I mentioned, you call all ability recruiting. No, but there, you know, we always say we want you to absolutely do disability appointment, but there's a way in which you do it correctly. You know, there are other businesses, corporations out there that are starting to really invest in neurodivergent talent because they're seeing what they can bring to the company. But I have seen companies do it wrongly. They have hired them because they say, hey, we employ people who have, who are on the spectrum, who are neurodivergent. And then 
they get there and they don't know how to support them properly. So it has to be done correctly. It has to come from really top to bottom, bottom to top. It, it can't be just one person in HR driving this culture change. It has to be able to transcend through the, the entire company. And if it's a larger company, it ha- can't be in one division. It has to be throughout. And that's where companies do fail is if it's in one part and it's not throughout the whole thing. If you say you're committed to this, you got to just talk about it all the time. It can't be one month out of the year. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Look, my calendar is filled with talking engagements that month, which I absolutely love. But November 1st, I'm wide open again. And they stop talking about it. It can't happen one month. It has to be talked about every day. And we also talk about in our training sessions, I can't tell you this to you. You take this paperwork back to your desk and you lock it up in your drawer and you forget about it. It has to continue those conversations. So it has to be driven and done properly through the right steps and understanding how to work through that. Yeah, I totally agree. Anytime an organization is going to try and um, create change, it really has to be more than just a kitschy motto on a coffee cup. It has to be part of that larger strategic objective. That kind of leads me to my uh, my next questions. So the journal article that I had mentioned earlier had spoke about um, people who were diagnosed at an earlier age, they face more barriers in terms of educational attainment and employment. And I've had a few conversations with parents of young adults uh, with rare diseases and they're looking at the economy, job reports, etc., and they understand that health insurance is so closely tied to having a job, and it's an incredibly scary time for them when they consider that their child is going to be aging out of their health insurance program. So do you have any advice for a young person who is finishing up high school or college and they're looking to move into the workforce? For, you know, that's it. Every person is different. Like I mentioned, every disability is different. So you have someone who with, you know, mobility, that's a whole other thing too, with making sure you can navigate that process and making sure it's accessible for them. Invisible. And I, I here's the bottom line. <laughs> the tide is turning. And I'm happy to say that I, I see it in my daily walks and my daily talks. I, people's eyes are opening up to the fact that the disability community is not going to stay quiet any longer. We are very mighty and it's come a time that it's turning where someone is owning their disability and they're talking about it forthright and they're not afraid to hide it anymore. And that trend is going to continue to change. So companies and businesses have to adapt to that, to stay on top of it, like I mentioned, and continue to support that. So I had a mom reach out to me um, a couple of weeks ago whose son is on the spectrum. And she's like, Anessa, please tell me that there's a future for him. And I'm like, yes, yes, there is. I I promise you. And And I really, I'm excited. You know, I have a daughter who's hearing impaired and I I see the ways that companies are like, okay, we're going to have a mandate where all of our meetings are going to have captions. And, you know, not only, and that's the beautiful thing about universal design, just real quickly on a tangent, universal design was created originally, like say, for instance, curb cuts in the sidewalk. Those were created for wheelchair users way back in the day. However, if you've ever pushed a baby stroller or if you've ever pushed a shopping cart, you're looking right. for those curb cuts. So that's universal design because it helps everyone. So when you have captions on your Zoom videos, when you're in a webinar, 
yes, you're helping those who are hearing impaired, but you're also helping people who have ADD, ADHD, or people who just generally just learn better. I'm a visual learner. I love to read the captions because I, I soak up the knowledge better that way. So that part of it and having those mandates going forward, people are starting to get on the boat, on the bus, bus train, you name it, everyone's starting to get on it and they're starting to understand. So if you're a young person who is out there, who is like, okay, I'm going to start getting into this workforce, be your true self, be authentic. And you know what, work for a company that's going to value who you are. I, I was actually just going to ask, what is the future of, of work for people with disabilities? But I think you just <laughs> nailed it. it. <laughs> you just nailed it. Excellent. Oh, good. I, 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 again, I appreciate your time coming on and chatting with us. Um, where can our listeners find you? They can find us at allabilityrecruiting.com. We're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn under Anessa Powell. So check me out. Love to have you follow along, especially if you're someone who's really wanting to understand more about the disability space and the employment space. I try to post regularly articles and information out there about how and why it should be cared about. Thank you very much again. I appreciate it and hope to talk to you again in the future. Brian, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much.